Greetings from Quail Lakes Baptist Church in Stockton, California. Thank you for your interest in our downloadable messages. Our more recent teachings, such as Pastor Mark's current sermon series, are always available on iTunes. However, for a more comprehensive offering of Quail's Bible-based teachings from Pastor Mark and others, we offer an extensive archive of downloadable sermon MP3s on our website, as well as information on our fellowship and our ministries. Please visit us online at www.qlbc.org. These messages are also available on CD or cassette. For more information, please call our church office at 209-951-7380. We trust you will be blessed and edified by what you are about to hear. Thank you for listening. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. That's our passage today, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're in a series talking about what it means to live as a passionate, lifelong follower of Jesus Christ. Today's emphasis is it's a life of wisdom, a a wise life. We'll hear Paul calling us to wise choices. The key concept is a passionate follower of Jesus Christ lives wisely. While you find 1 Corinthians chapter 9, let me tell you a true story. September 2018, the Washington Post published a story about a group of retired men who met weekly for coffee. It was a deli that they met in and in Salt Lake City. And every week they came together and they shared their wisdom with each other, kind of commenting on the situations of life, the situations in the news, that kind of thing. Week after week they came together. And after a while, they tired of just sharing their wisdom with one another. They said to themselves, after all, here we are solving all the problems in the world and nobody knows about it. We got to take this wisdom elsewhere. And so they got a card table and they set up this folding table at the farmer's market that meets every Saturday in that area. And they invited people to come and to gain advice, to seek their wisdom. And people came. They lined up to get advice about their jobs, about their family, about romance, about how to treat their neighbors, about things that are going on in the town, that kind of thing. It became one of the most popular booths at the farmer's market. They created a big banner to let people know that they were there. And the banner read this way, old coots giving advice. It's probably bad, but it's free. And people came. Everybody needs a source of wisdom. The Bible guides us in wise living. We're going to look at near the end of uh, chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians in depth. But before we get there, I want to give you the setting of where we are in the the flow of this letter. As Paul begins chapter 9, he's describing himself. He's talking about the fact that in order to be successful, in order to live the Christian life wisely, we have to make choices about what we will do and what we will not do. And he uses himself as an example in the beginning of the chapter, illustrating the things that he has the right to do, but he chooses not to do because he wants to be the best apostle for Jesus that he can possibly be. First of all, uh, for instance, in verse 4, he says, I have the right to food and drink but I don't engage in that. Now, listen, he's not saying I'm starving myself. 
He means I have the right to engage in a leisurely approach to food and drink, just as if I was kind of on vacation, taking my time. But Paul never thinks of himself as on vacation. He's on the job for Jesus. In verse 5, he says, I have the right to take a wife, to be married, but Paul is not married. And he, he set that right aside so that he can devote himself to fully pursuing his task for the Lord. In verse 6, he says, I have the right to receive financial support, like a missionary would receive support. But he reminds them that while he was with them in Corinth, he did not receive support. He never asked for money from them or from anybody else. He took up his job as a tent maker. That was his skill that he had, making of tents. And he used that skill while he was there to support himself so that he would not be a burden to anybody else. Now, the reason for all of this choice not to exert his rights, but rather to kind of live his life in a particularly disciplined way, he gets to in verse 23. So go ahead there. Verse 23, follow along. He says, I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. In other words, Paul is saying, I have made choices on how I manage my life. And those choices regarding how I manage my life have a purpose so that I can be a part of the spread of the gospel and experience the blessings of the good news. This, he says, is living wisely, making choices, keeping in mind Life's most important goal, the thing that really matters the most. And then what follows for the rest of the chapter, Paul illustrates uh, what it looks like to make those kinds of wise choices. Follow along as I read verse 24 and following. He says this, Do you not know that in the race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. He uses the imagery of sports. And he's wise to do so because Corinth was a sports crazy town. Corinth uh, was the, the city nearest to the, the area where every two years the Greeks held the Isthmian Games. Now, the Isthmian Games were Olympic-like games. They happened every two years. And the athletes who trained for those games lived in Corinth They trained nearby so the Corinthians would understand what it means to be in in training to gain a prize for something that's really important. The Isthmian Games had these areas of competition. There was foot racing, like we have in in our Olympic Games. There was boxing. There was chariot races. There was a sport called pancration, which we think was kind of like kickboxing. And then on the other hand, there was poetry reading and musical competitions. All of that took part in the Isthmian Games. And the people of Corinth would watch the the athletes and the artists in training. And Paul says, that's a picture for how you live wisely. You are in training. In other words, living wisely takes discipline. 
You need to discipline yourself to be a part of what God wants you to be doing. Why? Because there's a prize that's ahead. Now, most of our lives, we live with imposed discipline. Our parents set rules for us. Our schools set, set uh, policies for us. Our society sets laws for us. And these areas of discipline are imposed on us. There are boundaries out of which we, we are not allowed to go. But the wise life is a life that has self-discipline, that enables myself to make choices that are good and in keeping with my goals. And that's where wisdom starts. It starts with envisioning the goal. Where am I going with all of this? What's the purpose of all of this? In order to run the race of life wisely, we need to know what we're aiming for. Paul talks about the prize, the crown, that, the, that is the goal of the competition. In the Isthmian Games, it was just a laurel wreath that faded quickly. But Paul says, I have an eternal goal in mind. So what was his goal? Some people would say, well, the goal that Paul is racing towards has already been described by Jesus. In fact, that what it means to be disqualified from that goal is pictured by the words of Christ in Matthew chapter 7. There, Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will say to them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. If that is the idea that Paul is connecting to when he talks about the prize or the goal, it means that Paul is worried about the fact that I, I don't want to spend my whole life working for the spread of the gospel and then come judgment day find that I am disqualified from heaven. Now, some would put that side by side, and I, I mention that interpretation because I don't think that's what it is. I don't think that's right. And I don't think that's a, 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 a correct interpretation of what Paul's prize is because the issue for Jesus there in the Matthew passage is a relationship with him. It's not service for him. He doesn't say, you didn't do that stuff right. He says, I never knew you. See, that's where it starts. That's where this race of the Christian life begins. It begins by coming into a relationship with Jesus and understanding that I need forgiveness and in Christ, I can be forgiven of my sin. Turning to Him in repentance and allow His grace and mercy to flow over me. And when I place that faith and trust in Him, He changes me from the inside. And I now have a relationship with Him. Born into the family of God. Jesus is saying in Matthew, you never did that, you folks, whoever He's talking to. That never happened. I never knew you. All that service you were doing wasn't for me. Away from me. I don't think that Paul is worrying about being, being disqualified from heaven. Rather, I think he's talking about a different prize. And that prize is the result of him being effective in his calling to live for Jesus. That's what Paul is going for. He disciplines his life in order to be effective representing Jesus for a crown that he wants to gain, a reward that he wants to have. And that reward is the symbol in glory 
of the fact that Jesus is affirming that, Paul, you ran the race well. You did your part well. It's the reward of being recognized as living his life in such a way that Jesus is pleased. And the sense of that reward and the affirmation of our Savior will last for all eternity, he says. That's what I want. I know it will never dim. It will never diminish the sweet knowledge that Jesus saw I ran well. That's the reward. That's the prize I'm going for. And as Paul communicates that to the Corinthian Christian and the Holy Spirit through the word to us, he's saying, I want that prize for you as well. It it will never fade. It's an eternal sense of the affirmation of the Savior in glory. And so, to illustrate the need for that, Paul uh, uh, uses the image of two familiar sports. He says, in order to live your life towards that goal, think about these two sports. Look at verse 26. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. He pulls out of the Isthmian games, the sports of running, the race, and boxing. And he says, imagine. Imagine a race where there's no track, where there's no set course, where there's no finish line. When the gun goes off, the runners just run in every direction. No one paying attention to anyone else for as long as they wanted. That's not a race, right? A race has a course. A race has a finish line. A race is such that results can be determined. If you don't have any of that, you don't have a race. You're just out for a jog. Paul says, that's not what I'm doing. I have a a purpose. Or take boxing. Can you imagine a boxing ring in a a contest in which the boxers get in the ring and they just start flailing their arms around nowhere near each other? No one tries to land a punch. No one tries to to get advantage over the other person, just kind of swinging their arms. That's not boxing, right? Neither of these so-called athletes has been properly trained. Both of them are making a mockery of the sport, and in fact, they look foolish in so doing. Paul is saying it's possible to live your Christian life that way. It's possible to live your life in a way that demonstrates you really don't know what you're doing. You're not really trying. Run the race well, he says. But to do so takes self-discipline. Self-discipline, which leads to a wise life. It's the strength to say no, what should not be part of our life, and the ability to say yes to what is wonderful and necessary and helpful. It means setting some things aside and putting something, taking some things up. The author to the Hebrews uses the same image in Hebrews 12. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. To run the race well, there are some things that need to go, some things that need to be thrown off. For some of us, it may be habits that are no longer appropriate in our life, desires that should no longer be there. Here's Paul picking up the same image as he writes to Titus. In Titus 2, he says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Say no to ungodliness, he says. 
But what does it mean? What does ungodliness mean? Maybe you've heard someone receive a phone call in the middle of the night, and they looked at their phone, they answered that, answered that call, and they said, why are you calling me in this ungodly hour? What do we mean by that? Kind of the image is, you know what, it's so late, not even God is awake. Why are you calling me? Now, we know he never slumbers nor sleeps. He's awake. But ungodliness is that assumption that God is not here, that God is not with me. It's the the kind of life lived ignoring God, as if God does not exist. And that's how all of us live when we're outside a relationship with Jesus Christ. We all live a life as if God's not a part of it. And when you live a life as if God is not a part of your life, what happens is you turn into your own God. You set your own standards for truth and falsehood. You are the only person you place your hope in. There is no outside source of hope long term. You set yourself up as your own God. But when you come to know Christ as personal Savior... When he, when you're in the family of God, you recognize that, that not only God is, is, is God there, God is aware and involved in my life. And so the life begins to change. We wake up in the morning and we check in. God, what do you have for me today? What ought I to do today to live for you? The race of the Christian life cannot be won, Paul is saying, if you get up every morning and live every day as if there is no God, as if He doesn't matter to your life. If the pattern of your day-to-day life is the exact same as a pattern who is not a follower of Jesus, there's no difference there. Well, you might be on the team, but you're not running the race, and you're certainly not going to get the prize of that affirmation. So Paul is saying, I know I have to make some choices. I have to realize that I have to be different because I am different on the inside. He explains it this way in verse 27. No, I beat my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. I make my body my slave. Now, what is he talking about? He's not talking about self-mutilation. He's not talking about self-harm. There are no spiritual brownie points for suffering or causing yourself to voluntarily suffer, to live a kind of miserable life. There's no spiritual brownie points for that. What he's saying is this. In strong, almost exaggerated terms, he's saying, I want to live a life so that the inner me, the real me, is the master of the outer me. The inner me, the the, the spiritual part of me that connects with my Savior, I want that to be the master of the outer me. i got to decide who's in charge here. And i got to decide what's important, which means I have to put away some things on the outer me so that the spiritual part of me can rule. Put away the lusts of the eyes, the desires of the flesh, because I have a prize in mind, and I recognize that it's most important. So some things got to go. I beat my body. Now, we need to understand that sometimes the Christian message has delivered some bad ideas about our physical lives. What I mean is this. Sometimes we forget 
that God put us in bodies and that God invented pleasure. It was his idea that there's pleasures in the world, pleasures like laughter, like color, like beauty, like taste, like music. These things are all gifts from God meant for us to enjoy. Sometimes we forget that in terms of the way we approach life. We we think that we're somehow more holy if we push pleasure out of our life. That's not right. Let's look at the the image of of, uh, driving a car. Can you imagine a driver ed class where they only taught you how to use the brake? Only stop. That's all you do is stop. That would not be a successful driver's ed class, right? But sometimes that's the way we relate from a spiritual point of view to the pleasures that God has put in our life. Stop. Don't go there. Hold it. No. What happens in a successful driver's ed class is you have to learn how to steer, have to learn how to steer the steering wheel. And I believe that God wants us to steer our bodies, our lives towards the pleasurable aspects of life that He gave us to experience, but He wants us to do it His way, to experience the laughter and the color and the beauty and the taste. It's not just about putting on the brakes. It's about steering properly. And the reality is we need to be able to steer to use the car effectively. And in the same way, you need to be able to steer your life, your body, to know when to apply the brakes and when to steer towards beauty and towards joy and towards purity and the blessings of God. Because all of this is God's idea. Sin has corrupted the gift. Sin has turned some pleasurable things in some instances to addictions and sometimes to abuses. So steering is called for. Moderation is called for. Moderation is inherent in self-discipline. It keeps the mastery of the body and the pleasures where they belong in God-given categories. So, for instance, eat, but beware of gluttony. You're not to live for your stomach. So rest, but beware of laziness. You're not to be a couch potato. So have romance, but beware of sexual sin. Because God has placed that pleasure inside a particular relationship between one man and one woman in marriage. Wise living means I'm steering this thing called life according to the way God wants me to steer. And some things I've got to go. I've got to push aside. But it also means picking up some things along the way. If an athlete wants to compete, it's not good enough for him just to not do stuff, right? Can you imagine the conversation with the U.S. Olympic team or the committee and the athlete stands before the committee and says, I'm ready to go to the Olympics? And they say, what makes you think that you're ready to go to Olympics? I haven't eaten a Snickers bar in five years. That's not going to do it. You need to do something. And what you need to do is you need to practice. You need to put things into your life which are the wholesome practices that will discipline you towards success. Let me change the image a moment. I stink at playing the piano. I love music. I love a wide variety of music, but I'm lousy at playing the piano. In reality, the fact is I took piano lessons for quite some time. And my mom would pick me up after school and take me down to the house where the piano teacher lived. My lasting memory of this house, this is my biggest memory of piano lessons. The house smelled like mothballs. 
So they must have had mothballs under every cushion in the house. All right? And I went to that, I went to those lessons every week, and she opened the book. She always asked me the exact same question. Guess what it was? Did you practice? And what did I do? I lied. <laughs> but it was not an effective lie, because soon she saw that I didn't practice. And eventually, my parents said, I'm, parents said, I'm not going to continue to pay money for this kid. He doesn't practice. And so today, I, don't, I can't play the piano. The wise running of the Christian race requires practice. There are things that we must pick up and put into our lives and do as a discipline of our following Jesus, saying yes to God. And what we're saying is, God, show me how to steer this thing called life. Not just put on the brakes, but steer towards that which is right. See, I'm not trying to insult you, but I imagine that if somebody today, this afternoon, called you up and said, hey, guess what? You're entered to run a marathon tomorrow. You would not be able to do it. Why? Because there's training that's involved. It takes effort. And it may be a small beginning, but it's worthy to begin. So let me make some suggestions in closing. Some things that maybe are things that you need to pick up. We're all in different places in this race. I'm going to give you seven suggestions, and I'm going to do it quick. Number one, for some of you, you need to start incorporating a prayer of thanksgiving before you eat your family meal. Some of you don't do that, but I'm telling you, if you would start doing that, it brings an awareness to you and your family that God has provided for us. Some of you, number two, need to spend time every day, maybe before the news or when you come home from work, whenever, just to open your Bibles and the devotional booklet that we give out and spend eight minutes reading that devotional and the book and the verse that's connected to it and letting God speak to you each day. Close it with a prayer. Eight minutes, ten minutes max. Some of you don't do that, but you could do it. Pick it up. Thirdly, some of you need to give God first place on Sunday every Sunday. There's many of us that kind of in and out. If we go, we don't go. It's not really a regular thing. Make it a regular thing because it's a discipline that we need to pick up. Fourth, calculate the percentage of your income that you give to the things of the Lord. Increase it by 1%. You can do it. But it's a demonstration to yourself that I am part of what God is doing and I'm funding His work. Fifth, read one good Christian book between now and Christmas and tell somebody about what you read. Sixth, serve Jesus by serving someone else an act of kindness, a service that they need in Jesus' name. Seven, say something to your work or your schoolmates about your faith. Maybe it's something you heard on Sunday morning or in a Sunday morning Bible class, and invite those persons to come with you. It's something we all need to pick up. Each of these things and many more are aspects of our training, and we're training for the prize. And what is the prize? When we stand before the Lord and we hear Him say, well done, you ran the race well, and you feel His admiration forever. Wise living is living that will get you there. That's the goal. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You show us how we are to live 
Enable us, we pray, to serve you well, because we know that even in that service there is joy. We feel your pleasure, and Lord, help us to do that. Help us to be able to see the needs and to meet the needs in Jesus' name. We love you, Lord. We pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. The team is back to lead us in a closing song. Would you stand as we sing? As the service comes to a conclusion, we'll have prayer counselors next to the organ, and they will wait to pray with you. Maybe there's an issue in your life for which you need prayer, a decision that you're making, and you want to make that the right way, or a struggle that you're facing. They will pray with you and for you, and you slip forward. But first, let's all pray together. Lord, as we leave this place, help us to leave with a new determination. Help us to picture next week as a race to be, won, to be run well. And help us, Lord, to see the opportunities to make the choices that will put us in first place. Lord, we want to achieve the goal. Bless us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming. <laughs>